1: Wherever you get your podcasts.
2: But at the end of the day, she'll still say, like, yeah, I see where all of those critiques come from, but I still had fun. Whereas I'm the type of consumer who's like, no, how did you have fun when all of these things <laughs> were wrong?
3: <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 147. Readers, my new book, I'd Rather Be Reading, The Delights and Dilemmas of the Reading Life, comes out September 4th, but we're kicking things off with a fall book tour a few days early. You can see me on Saturday, September 1st at the Novel Neighbor in St. Louis. Then I'll be in the Chicago area in Evanston, Illinois, for a stop with Page One Books on September 2nd. The book comes out on September 4th. That week, I will be in Franklin, Indiana, near Indianapolis with Wild Geese Bookshop, Louisville, Kentucky, and my hometown bookstore, Carmichael's, Davidson, North Carolina at Main Street Books, Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the Bookmarks Literary Festival, Asheville, North Carolina at Malaprops, and Monroe, Georgia at The Story Shop. In the following weeks, I'm visiting Tampa, Austin, Houston, Denver, Olympia, and the Bay Area. And we are still updating the event calendar with all the details. You can see that full page at anbogle.com/events. slash events. That is and with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L.com slash events. I certainly hope I'm coming to a city near you because I would love to tell you happy reading in person. I hope we get to meet in person this fall. Today, I'm talking to Marinas Alvarez and Nicole Sweeney, bookworm best friends who like to keep their reading life social. Together, they host the podcast Snark Squad, where they rehash the books, TV, and movies they consume together with a critical eye and a lot of laughs. Prepare for giggles, readers, because Marinas and Nicole were so much fun to talk to that this conversation felt like the bookish equivalent of sleepover gossip. We're dishing about how the internet has changed reading forever, destroying our childhood favorites, controversial star rating opinions, books that really sucker punch you in the feels, and so, so much more. Let's get to it. Marinas, Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm so excited to talk with you all today. Thank you for coming on. And would you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are, where you live, and what you do in the book world?
2: My name is Marines. I live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, by day I work in human resources here. But my a lot of my time is focused on my hobbies, which include a lot of reading. So Nicole and I jointly run Snark Squad dot com, which is a website that does a book and TV show and entertainment like recaps and reviews. And then I also have a booktube channel on YouTube where I focus on reading and reviewing all kinds of books critically. How about you, Nicole? So
0: I I feel mostly like I'm like Mari's hanger-on in in the book
1: world, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want her to go first because basically, yeah, working on Snark Squad with her and we have a podcast, I feel like the bulk of the reading that I do these days is stuff for the podcast. Most of my book world is Snark Squad pod and then, you know, I read things for fun too, but... Uh, As far as reading publicly, I guess that's that's
3: where I engage in that reading publicly. That's funny. So you're very involved on the internet, but with your reading life, which used to be private, how has the internet changed how you two read?
2: I, for me personally, I grew up as a reader, so I've always been reading across my life. One of our favorite free, fun, like childhood activities was going to the public library. So I've always been a reader and I think it's a super important part of like my my life and my habits and my hobbies because I am introverted and reading time is like self-care downtime for me in a lot of ways. But I discovered that I enjoyed doing a lot of that also in community. So, you know, Snark Squad launched because I had this crazy idea that it would be fun to revisit the, the books that we read as children, as adults, and kind of bring our adult eyes to that. And so we found that people were into that. And there was this community that built up around that. And that kind of clicked something in me in terms of like, thinking that reading was something that I did yes for myself and for enjoyment and for downtime but it could also be done in community so now I think the major thing that's changed is not really like habits or anything like that for me but just like anytime I close a book I think okay where can I go talk about this now (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: I think it's, it's that sense of finishing just really any piece of media and being like okay yes where can I go talk about this now I think for me a combination of like having snark squad and having that experience also finishing grad school and finding that like I wasn't having I missed the conversations that I had in my classrooms and I found all of these really fun and interesting places online where people were having, like dedicating the same sort of analytical attention to, you know, this YA book that they read, like, and uh, getting to sort of recreate that experience in this very fun and, and interesting way. I think having Snark Squad, having this clear outlet to do it was, was very helpful.
3: What takes place in those conversations that made you miss it and made you seek it out, even though your school days are behind you?
0: So much of what I enjoy about reading and about stories is the emotional impact of that but I think that that is so so personal and so getting to hear what somebody else is taking away from it like some you know minute detail like whatever the, the thing that jumped out about a story to me the thing that made me latch onto it maybe won't be that same thing for somebody else and so it's like it's a way of taking this experience that I had with this story and like deepening it because I can suddenly get this whole other perspective on it.
3: Sometimes in talking to readers, I hear a frustration that a lot of people in an urge to read more things, which I completely get that, finish a book or a piece of media, as you like to say, and then and then they move on <laughs> and they don't take the time to unpack it and examine it from all sides. I'd I'd love to hear an experience that really underscored for you how important it was to spend some time sitting with something that you've taken in and also just how that other perspective from other readers have really informed the way that you read and perhaps changed your mind about what you're reading. It's it's kind of interesting to me,
2: like looking back when I started reading books and really feeling the need to sit with them and to dissect them and to discuss them. Like, I think it's been something that's been gradually building. You know, you go through high school and that whole idea of looking at a text and examining it, it's something that really impacted me and never left. But now it's become... Uh, it's come to a point that the more and more that you do it, I don't know how to read any other way. Even when it's like, I'm going to read this for fun. I just... I have things that I go to that way, books that I go to that way, other pieces of media, and then I finish them. And I'm like, no, but I want to talk about this. I want to review. (laughs) I want to dissect. Like, I I just don't know that I know how to do anything else at this point. And so in that same way where I'm like, I don't know, this is just how I consume media, I, I don't... It's hard for me to think of the other side of that people who can just, you know, consume a book or, you know, and and not give it any other thought. It's kind of hardwired into my brain now is that I'm, I'm always reading and looking at word choices and sentences and the meaning behind it. So the people that are out there that can like turn off that portion of their brain and just kind of straight consume the story. I I mean, good on you. And also, I have no idea how you do that.
3: <laughs> Some days does the idea that you could do that appeal to you or that you might be able to do that since it's very clear that you cannot at this point.
2: I think there in some ways it's appealing it, it just because sometimes you you hear about a book that everybody else is loving and you go into the like, I'll go into this book and I can see why people would be enjoying this experience, but I cannot get past certain things about the story and just like land in that pure enjoyment piece of it. And so there are times like that that I'm like, you know, kind of kicking a rock like, oh, I wish I could. I wish <laughs> I could get there, too. <laughs> but you know, I, I also enjoy the way that I consume books as well. Like, I, I think that for me, even when I don't like a book, I still have the hope at the end that I will enjoy the, the conversations that I have afterward. And I, I love that kind of entire experience of reading books. I will say this is, it's
0: sort of like a joke between us on the podcast that like more often than not, I tend to get to that place of like, yeah, but it was fun. Uh, more <laughs> easily than does. But I will say that like to this, this thing of being able to turn off that piece of your brain, I like, I think that even getting to that place, there is also this sense of, okay, but why was it fun? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's also part of it. Yeah. So we can have conversations afterwards and be like, oh, I totally understand understand why this was not fun for you because xy and z things were bad about it but here's like the one thing that was so fun that i was just at the party you know to this this point of like enjoying the conversation afterwards that is this whole other piece of the experience that I'm looking forward to even when I'm ha- like having fun with th- you know the light fluffy thing and I know I'm gonna go talk to Mario about it later and she's gonna be like okay well how did you have fun with
2: this when
1: all of these things <laughs> were bad
2: about it <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to that part too and to be clear, like Nicole will will share so many of the same opinions. When we're disagreeing, it's almost a little uncomfortable for us. We're like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, no, <laughs> we don't think the same. Uh, but we agree on a lot of like fundamental things. But at the end of the day, she'll still say, like, yeah, I see where all of those critiques come from, but I still had fun. Whereas I'm the type of consumer who's like, no, how did you have fun when all of these things <laughs> were wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, and we have a ton of conversations about. you know, the difference between enjoying a book, enjoying a piece of media versus thinking that it is quality mm. yes. and versus thinking that, the, you know, that it is good. But then kind of we always land in the same area of like both those things are so highly subjective that making that line and differentiating, like, is there value there? I don't know what, what's that's the big question,
3: kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you do a lot of what's the phrase you all like? Some people call them buddy reads or partner <laughs> reads. What do you call the books you read? together mm. you might call them work I don't know <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think we call them anything uh, we just yeah. assign things for the podcast and we try to do at least like a book a month or so so yeah it we we I don't think that we've ever called them anything
3: <laughs> what are some common components of a book that's really fun to read with somebody else or this could be one is one and the same as a book that's enjoyable and fruitful to read critically themes
1: Big, yes. heavy, complicated <laughs> themes. This is, this is
0: like a, a favorite of ours is going back to like, what's the thesis statement of this thing? Uh, and, and anything where there can be some sort of debate over what the thesis statement is and lots of like interesting supporting evidence for why this thing is like the thesis
2: statement of this story. If we know that one of us just has strong feelings about a book, that's generally a good go-to and a good jumping off point for a conversation.
3: Positive or negative? Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So our website, there were sort of two things that we recapped that really, so we started out with like the childhood books, but the, the two things that probably added the most to our readership of the blog before we started the podcast were recapping Buffy the Vampire Slayer and recapping chapter by chapter 50 shades of gray uh as a like hate read (laughs) basically like picking out all the things that were wrong with it chapter by chapter so like so yes positive or negative we we have a lot of experience with both
3: directions about the snark squad first of all what a great name how did you how did you (laughs) land on it
2: um, alliteration. We knew snark was going to be in there. We wanted to be tinged with humor, whether we loved it or hated it. We just knew that it that was a piece in there. When snark was in place, squad just kind of followed because of the alliteration. So,
0: well, also because it's always been obviously the podcast is us talking to each other and to guests and stuff. But even the the blog posts were always jointly written. Uh, right. There's always like there's a main recapper and then somebody commenting on it throughout.
3: For the podcast, you said that you landed on this idea that you were going to read books from your childhood as adults, and that this really resonated with people. What do you think it is that's so interesting about coming back to a book that you read as a child?
2: <laughs> I think just the idea of how much you didn't see when, yeah. <laughs> you were, when you were reading originally as a child. I mean, we were we were going back and, and this was mostly for the blog, but we were reading, you know, Goosebumps and Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club. And these are things that I think are foundational to people's reading experience, people our age, you know, their reading experience. And a lot of times when you think about what books made you a reader, what got you into reading, these are things that people, Uh, list. And so this entire idea of something that is held Fondly in our memories and our emotions but then looking back on it and being and then going like oh oh (laughs) like (laughs) I don't remember any of this like you don't you have like these basic blocks in your memory but there were you know instances in there of just like from everything from being like very silly and nonsensical plot wise and especially in Goosebumps like all of these weird things that were happening (laughs) and then all the way to like the casual racism that we would find in like babysitting Club and you're just reading this as an adult and like with your world-weary like jaded eyes going, oh, oh so wow. this is what formed me as a reader, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but
0: also just like formed you as a person you know, the, like the Babysitter's Club <laughs> books like I think about how invested I was in this as a thing as a child and there's just these like weird little breadcrumbs of like, oh, I remember this being a thing that was somehow meaningful to me at whatever, seven, like this was a thing <laughs> <laughs> that I thought was important, and like I was like this fictional character, and whatever. And I think, and it, there's something to that too. To look back at that now and be like, oh, that's interesting.
3: <laughs> Please tell me there have been books, or at least a book, that has held up. That you've you've picked it up as a grown up and you've read it, and you've been like, oh, you know, not bad for choosing for a seven year old. <sighs> Anything? Um man, no.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm trying to think of the ones
2: that we, that we mainly covered for, for the blog, even, even, I think like Nancy Drew was probably the the ones that I was like least offended by. But she the mysteries were kind of like, you know, hokey as you get older. You're like, OK, this is this is a little, you know, not for me. It's not meant for me anymore, basically. So reading with that understanding also is that, you know, this is at a level that is not meant for me and all that. But also Nancy was just kind of really mean to her friends and her boyfriend, which I never realized as I really? was a young reader. Yeah, really? she was not she was not great to them. Um, and so just kind of seeing that dynamic was a little, like, uncomfortable. But um, otherwise, I think Nancy, she holds up. She holds up pretty well. I, I also, I feel like for the most part, the Babysitter's
0: Club books, like, hold up from this perspective of, yes, obviously it is not for me anymore. And and there are certainly elements of these plots that are kind of like, well, that was sort of glossed over in a way. <laughs> for the most part, I think they hold up, but not in a way that makes me come at them from this perspective of like, yeah, this is going to be a really great and super enriching reading experience now (laughs) because they're not meant
3: for me now. This sounds completely demoralizing month after (laughs) month to have your childhood favorites, like to have your memories tarnished and yet you keep doing it. So what do you love about it?
2: Yeah, we do it less often now. We're For the podcast, we're really, you know, doing things that are more more recent releases and more timely. It wasn't so much that we were going through and experiencing this by ourselves, but it was that we were doing it together and we were yes. laughing together. And I think that piece of just kind of laughing at it and doing it with humor kept it from being like too, too dark or too like yeah. jaded, <laughs> yes, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. We knew what we were getting into. We knew that, you know, we kind of expected what we would find there. So everything that we do from when we started with these kinds of books and, you know, everything that we're covering now on the podcast, I think that that um, idea that we're going to do it with humor and together is what makes it worthwhile.
3: So today we're looking for great books that you might both enjoy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) How wide is the overlap between your all's reading tastes? Is there just a sliver or is there miles and miles?
2: I think there is some overlap. I think we like, Like we mentioned, we both love theme heavy books. We both like characterization. We both love certain kinds of stories, like coming of age stories are big for both of us. Found families are big for both of us. So there's a lot of overlap. I think where it starts to kind of fall apart a little bit is that I am more more into it. World building fantasy stories, like high fantasy things that are a little bit more detailed I think that that's where it starts to fall apart for Nicole. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that assessment. There's, this is like my, my sort of running joke is like, I don't care about the fauna. Like I, I would like, (laughs) like tell me, tell me a story. I don't reject it just like on principle. Like it's a thing that I keep sort of, you know, trying, but there is definitely a level at which I'm like, I just, I don't want to look at the scene. Like now I want something to happen.
2: And meanwhile, I'm like, look at that leaf. Yeah, beautiful. Yes, exactly,
0: yes, yes.
1: Okay,
3: so go easy on the fauna.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
3: (laughs) I have exercised my self-control and not asked you so far to give me examples of books you love because you know that we have a way to do that here. Are you all ready?
2: Yes. (laughs) Let's do it.
3: Mari, tell me about a book you love.
2: Okay, so I'm limiting myself to books that I've read within the last year because I get super like nervous about picking like all time favorites. So a book that I read within the last year that I absolutely loved was A Million Junes by Emily Henry. It is young adult magical realism and it is about a young girl named June who lost her father and is dealing with a lot of the grief of now having lived about a year with that loss and she know certain things about her family and her family lore and a big piece of that is that they have a rival family within this community where she lives. The son of that family returns back to this town and sparks kind of fly but more than that relationship the book is really about her still learning how to deal with the grief of losing her father and it does so with that element of magical realism and this idea of like being haunted and ghosts and it is beautifully written and just a sucker punch to the
3: feels. In a good way to you. In in
2: the best way.
0: (laughs) Just making sure. Nicole, what about you? Yeah, I'll I'll always hear for a good sucker punch to the feels. Uh, So (laughs) the first one I'm going to pick, I sort of like went all over the place. I was was also wary of choosing all-time favorites from the perspective of just like, there's something so emotional that I don't know that I can pick out why they're my favorites, you know? Anyway, so the first one that I picked was A Thousand Nights by E.K. Johnston which I read fairly recently, it is a young adult fairy tale. This young girl has a sister she's very, very close with, and this prince, king, I guess, is basically killing women across these different villages. And he comes, and he's clearly going to take this girl's sister. And so this girl basically, like, Sacrifices herself, so that's yeah, self-sacrifice for a sister. I was this is like in the very beginning of the book. I was already a goner, and it's basically her sort of journey to to stay alive. And it's got this like weird sort of magical quality to it again because it's a fairy tale. The sister relationship, the fact that all of this is happening because of how much she loves her sister, and that essentially how she stays alive is her gift for inventiveness is just wonderful and great. And I, yeah, it was a very unexpected read too, which like, I I don't know what exactly I was expecting going into it, but it was definitely not the book that I found. And I, I think that added greatly to my love of this story.
3: A Million Junes, and A Thousand Nights. That's funny. A theme, yeah. <laughs> I love that you're going to be all over the place. Mari, what's your next favorite? The Veins of
2: the Ocean by Patricia Engel. This is an adult literary fiction novel, and it is about a woman, Raina, who has spent the last years of her life involved or revolving her life around the fact that her older brother is in prison. And so she spends a lot of time visiting him, thinking about him, and just the impact of what sent him to prison and her role in that but her brother dies suddenly while he's in prison and so she's kind of released from the cycle of how she's been living her life for all this time so she picks up her life and she moves to the Florida Keys on a whim and she meets a man there she encounters a community and it is about her going on this like journey of coming to terms with what her brother did, her role in what her brother did and finding out what her life is going to be on, from now on. And it deals very heavily with the ocean as kind of the symbol for healing which is like right up my alley as well. And it takes place <laughs> in Florida which yeah, I'm a sucker for as well because when, <laughs> when you can place yourself in a story with specific settings, I think there's something super powerful about this and Patricia Engel is a brilliant writer. It is very, very, very beautifully written. Uh, so yeah, the veins of the
3: All right, what about you, Nicole?
0: The second book that I picked is A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan. This is like a series of short stories, basically, that are sort of interconnected, which is the kind of thing that often does not land for me but it worked really really well in this book again because it is so theme heavy and because like the, the way in which they are all interconnected was just very very interesting and it was cool to like see that come together and I'm I'm not a big rereader, which I guess is another way that my reading life differs from Mari's because she's much much more into coming back to books but this is one of the rare books that I have come back to because I like seeing the way that all of those connections happen between these different characters and the very idea that Time is a thing that you, you cannot escape. That, that's sort of, I think, the central theme of this book. And it's great and beautiful and is one that just sticks with me. It's a book that I just think about
2: all the time at sort of random moments.
3: That's a good sign. Mari, what's your next favorite? The
2: Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. This is also young adult, but it is a contemporary and it is told in verse. Elizabeth Acevedo is a slam poet. And so she's written this book about a young Dominican-American girl living in Harlem who discovers slam poetry as a way to kind of explore her identity and her surroundings, her relationship with her mother, her relationship with religion. And so the plot is not very heavy on from there. It really is just a series of these poems about this young girl kind of coming into her own so again a coming of age story something I love and if you have the chance to listen to this on audiobook Elizabeth Acevedo reads it herself she performs it I would say because again she is a slam poet and it is absolutely beautiful and just listening to her read it to you in her own voice is definitely an experience that I highly recommend
3: that sounds amazing. Co-sign
0: on that that audio <laughs> I, I listened to an audiobook at Mari's recommendation and it was indeed fantastic. So my third book is Codename Verity by Elizabeth Wien, which is a young adult World War II spy novel, the, the main character gets captured. She spends a lot of this time sort of you know thinking about her predicament, but also thinking about her best friend. I love this book because like the central dynamic is this friendship between the two girls. Any sort of story about a strong relationship that is not romantic is always a a favorite. Spy stories I love. I'm very Mm -hmm. into that as a thing. There's just a lot, a lot of things going on in this story that I, I thoroughly enjoyed and could not put this book down. As long as we're co-signing, I have
2: read um, <laughs> I have read that one. And I also read
3: uh, A Visit from the Goon Squad. And those two are two that I love as well. So, Okay. Mari, I noticed that two of your three picks are Book of the Month. Is that coincidence or not?
2: No, it's not. I got The Veins of the Ocean from the Book of the Month. I read A Million Junes, not because I got it as a pick, borrowed it from the library. And then I later went back and took
3: advantage and bought the discounted one from Book of the Month. I don't think that I want to go for like, what's out right now, contemporary fiction, because I'm afraid you will have read it all. And you said that you were looking for the delightful, surprising, unexpected. (laughs) The good deduction. Okay. Now that you've each shared three books you love, this is usually the point at our show where I ask guests to tell me a book that's not for them. So many readers are very uncomfortable using the hate word. And I totally get it. Even if a book is totally not for you, readers often want to say it's totally not for me. Not, oh my gosh, I hated that book. <laughs> but <laughs> especially you, Mari, seem much more comfortable than most people with hating a piece of media.
2: Absolutely. And I will not only say <laughs> that I I hate it. I, mean, I always have to check this instinct in me but I will say that it is bad (laughs) (laughs) not even like it isn't for me I'm like no this is bad so uh, yeah I don't have any qualms about that I think Nicole doesn't either I think she's probably just a little more forgiving than I am but I think she has the same instinct like if, if I don't like a thing I don't like it and I don't really need to kind of tiptoe around that
0: Yeah, I think much like with our reading, there's a lot of overlap, but there's like a handful of little things that, you know, maybe would push you over into that, like, I hate it scale. But like anything that has deep sort of sociological flaws, we both kind of come to that place of, no, I hate this and it's bad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, deep sociological flaws. What else makes a book bad? In your all size.
0: That for me is really the thing. I, I can forgive a lot of things, but the second that I feel like you are putting sort of ideas about people and society out into the world, i.e. things related to like racism, that for me is kind of an unforgivable line that I I like, nope, this bad. But beyond that, I don't know, like writing and stylistic things, that's where I start to fall into the this is not for me camp rather than I hate this, it's bad. Mm-hmm.
3: Especially if you can get a good story in there somewhere, right?
0: Yeah, 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 totally.
3: I was going to say, tell me an example, but I mean, tell me about the book you hate.
2: So mine is The North Water by Ian McGuire, and I think it fits this conversation pretty well. It was long-listed for The Man Booker, and I think it won some other prizes. So very well and highly regarded book, and I absolutely hated it. I, it's, <laughs> it's about a man who kind of is dishonorably discharged from the British army so he has to take a job as a surgeon on this whaling ship and while they're out you know on the arctic on this whaling ship a little boy turns up murdered on the ship and so it kind of has this almost like mystery-ish aspect to it but you can you know right away who did it because there's this like big looming character of an awful person on the ship And so you're just kind of figuring out what exactly happened, but it broke down for me. I think you can very much tell that Ian McGuire is a good writer and the story very much felt like crafted and well-researched and all of that. But I think that I'm not one to shy away from difficult topics in books, but I think that if you're going to cover something that is gruesome and very, very difficult to read about, there has to be a why to me like what are you telling me with all of this information and in this book specifically the only thing that Ian McGuire seemed to be saying is that people are bad sometimes just because and so all of that Mm -hmm. like murder and gore and the gruesomeness there's rape in here as well all of that didn't mean anything really to the story and so it just became not only uncomfortable but gratuitous to me it was just a bunch of bad stuff put together in a book and I did not like it at all. So I'm going to basically
0: contradict everything that I said, because the book that I picked (laughs) is uh, one that I I actually, it's not so much that I think that it's trash as it just clearly was not for me. And the issues that I had with it were more kind of general than uh, (laughs) sociological in nature. But that was Universal Harvester by John Darnielle, which I read with a book club right when it came out. And I went into it very optimistically because there was this sense of place and like a like prose that I really, really enjoyed. But it fell apart for me because it seemed to have all of these like just a ton of elements seemingly to no purpose. Like it felt like there were a couple different books smashed in there that maybe if you had just focused on one of them, we would have had a really, I would have had a great time. But instead we just sort of meandered in several different directions to no apparent end. And I was left sort of like frustrated and unsatisfied. And the lack of uh, a feeling of continuity, I guess, across the book was frustrating for me. So that's, that is my, my one non-sociological example of, <laughs> of a book I, I that was not for me.
3: Are you all reading anything together hmm. right now?
2: Yes. Is it just the one thing?
0: Well, we're making our way through the A Song of Ice and Fire books, So there's that just in general. That's sort of we've we finished three now. So in theory, we both should have started the fourth. I definitely haven't. (laughs) I Um, have not either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But And then we're also getting ready to record an episode on Children of Blood and Bone.
3: I just downloaded that for Audible, but I haven't read it yet. Are, are you in progress or is that coming up for you? <laughs> I also have not started that.
2: Yeah, I started it. Um, I'm about 50% of the way into the book, but I started it before Nicole. I was the one who suggested it. So I was reading it and I, I was like, okay, this is probably something that we can talk about together. So I had a little bit of a jump on her. Um, but yes, I'm about halfway done with that one. Oh, also sharp objects too. Oh, Yes. Which you have read and I have not, so. Yes.
3: (laughs) Okay. There are a lot of different directions we could go here. So we're looking for themes, like grad school worthy themes. There's a fair amount of like YA and younger characters, even when it's not YA, Mm -hmm. on your list, Marina's. And you're just all over the place, Nicole. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Thinking about a little magical mystery, some historical fiction. And I'm thinking about literature that skews toward a younger readership, although hopefully nothing you regret when you come back and look at it is your, you know, more grown up self. I I like all of those
0: things.
3: (laughs) All right. Do you go to bookstores? Yes. Yes. Do you have a favorite? There's two
0: bookstores in town that I generally, if I'm going to a bookstore, I'm either going to a store called Fact
2: and Fiction or Shakespeare and Company. I more recently moved to Fort Lauderdale, so I've actually been on a little bit of a hunt for good bookstores, smaller bookstores here. I will occasionally pop into a Barnes and & Noble and just kind of look at through the shelves. But the best one that I found so far is called Big Apple Books, and it's a used bookstore, which I always find very, very intriguing. I can spend an hour or two literally just looking at the shelves. So,
3: When you are each browsing in your bookstore... And you're thinking about what you want to take home. Anything specific you look out for that catches your eye, that makes you think, yes, this is the one for me. This would be without anyone putting pictures in your face on Instagram or sending you comments (laughs) on YouTube on your own in a vacuum when you're looking. Like, I
0: can't think of anything that is particularly unifying. I like... I don't know, man. Like, I, I, it's very like, I don't know. I got a feeling today and
2: my feelings will probably be radically different tomorrow. Who knows? So I think one of the things that overlap about Nicole and I as readers and like larger media consumers as well is that we're both like. Mood people, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like very much depends. Like, what what mood am I in, and that kind of dictates if I'm going to read a bunch of books today, or like binge some Netflix, or what kind of story I'm gonna I'm gonna take in. And I think we both read and like consume pretty widely, so it's difficult to say. Again, there there are unifiers, and it, a lot of times it is kind of like those big themes. For me, it's if a book explores any kind of like. Uh, mentioned like family relationships or friendships or grief, which is kind of weird to say, but I, I really enjoy books that are explorations of grief. Uh, that's something that if I see it anywhere on the blurb, I'm like, you're coming home with me, but otherwise I <laughs> I can be wooed by pretty much any book if it sounds interesting.
3: Yeah, same. All right. Here goes. I'm going to strive to give you three recommendations that are also all over the place. But what I'm looking for are books that are not currently being discussed all the time on social media, Uh, you know, like not the new hot thing that everybody's talking about. And that's are all over the place, but in a coherent way, I hope we'll see how we do. (laughs) First, I'm thinking of Fly Girl by Sherry Smith. Do you know this one? I do not. Okay. It's not quite 10 years old, but almost. It's not quite middle grade. It's a little old for that, but it's not quite like serious very high school YA either. It's about a girl navigating life somewhere she isn't technically allowed to be, and she's terrified of being found out. So I love that nod to a spy feeling for you, Nicole. This girl's name is Ida Mae Jones, and she's always dreamed of being a pilot. She really wants to fly, but as a young Black girl, this option is just not available to her right then in the American South. But... Then World War II starts, the men are gone, and new opportunities become available for white girls her age. So the Army starts recruiting these girls to teach them how to fly. Ida Mae is fairly light-skinned, and she's advised by a friend that, you know what, I bet you could pass as white and join up. So she makes the choice to attempt to pass as white and does get accepted into the program. But after that, she lives in constant fear of being caught and punished because of her identity. What I like about the story for you is I hope Mari that you think it is well written (laughs) crossing my fingers there. Uh I know for you, Nicole, the plot moves right along like snap, snap, snap. There's Mm -hmm. always something happening. There's, there's no fauna in this book.
2: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Good.
3: (laughs) The author who is African-American is dealing with issues of your heritage and, having to feel like you have to hide it when what you want is to be proud of it in person and also feeling like you have to like tamp down your dreams because they're not acceptable culturally and what you do when you have the opportunity to open up and strong female friendships in the book as well. There's um, interesting relationships between parents and children and it's an interesting setting. It's not one we haven't seen before, but it's an interesting setting in the American South during this time of great change at the beginning, well, the middle, I suppose, of World War II.
0: How does that sound to you? Sounds great. While you were
3: describing it, I opened Goodreads and added it to my want to read. So... (laughs) You got to be careful there because sometimes some picky readers do not like those books that have four and a half stars and lots of reviews. But oh yeah, Mari, no, oh, okay. I, don't, I don't look at that. I just I said, to read. I, I, didn't care. I, was like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what they have to say. I do love as a reader though finding that like two point eight star book that is completely perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as a reader, like it's nice to feel like that I'm not one of the herd if I don't love the book that has four point six. I kind of hate the star ratings. Are you sympathetic here? Yeah, I love star ratings. (laughs) make your case i
2: think they communicate a small amount of information very quickly at a glance you kind of i think that reviews have their place in order to go deeper but i think star ratings are perfect for organizing and communicating quick information to a reader so i love star ratings however i think nicole and i talk about this a lot when we're consuming things about what makes something have mass appeal and how a lot of times that doesn't necessarily line up with what we're looking for in a story. And so just because something is loved by lots of people or you know, unloved by lots of people, that doesn't necessarily turn me off. And I'm the exact same way. I love finding the hidden gems. I love finding a book that maybe other people had problems with X, Y, and Z, but that's exactly why it's perfect for
3: me. And right. this sounds right up our alley, I think. Very interesting, because I did notice that many of the books on your YouTube video that we'll need to link here, the popular books you really hate <laughs> uh, have amazing star ratings.
2: I, I, oh, it's so frustrating for me, <laughs> as much as I love star rating. When there's a book that I close and I'm like, ah, oh, terrible, and then I go to Goodreads and it's like 4.8 stars. I'm like, what?
0: <laughs>
3: Who's rating the Betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> so I said I wasn't going to review anything new, but I think this might be under the radar enough that we could squeak it through, even though it came out in March 2017. Do you know Rabbit Cake by Annie Hartnett? I just checked it out from the library. You are kidding me. Really? (laughs) I didn't see this places. I
2: didn't start it. I didn't start it at all, but I literally just got it from the library. What made you check it out? Uh, That description. It is an exploration of grief. Well, I've never heard
3: of it, so... What I like about it is you get to see the way that grief strikes several different family members in very different ways. And because the narrator is just 10 years old, she's keeping a a diary. She's keeping a written record of her grief process because the therapist has told her it takes 18 months to grieve. And she's like, all right, let's do this. I'm ready. But (laughs) she's convinced that her mother died in an accident, but her mother did not die in an accident. This young girl is coming to terms with what happened to her mother but also in the book her older sister who is in a different place in life a little older a little more mature a little more understanding is also grieving and of course their father is working through this as well the line between what is real and what is hoped for but not true that's a tension in the book she manages to do this without being totally annoying like child narrators can do. Instead, it just might be the gut punch to the feels that you all really enjoy. And it definitely has themes galore. So do you wanna read it now that it's on your library stack or are you gonna like take it back and drop it in the book drop at night?
2: No, I'm definitely very interested. I love what you said about how um, there, it's not only an exploration of grief about, but about how different people within the same family are grieving. I think part of the reason that I gravitate towards these these kinds of stories is because it is an emotion, a very strong emotion that it's very difficult to give words to. And so kind of seeing people try that and attempt that and like look at the different ways that we grieve. So that's like all of that wrapped up in one book. So I'm super excited. That is handy for me to read. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the fact that you began that description too with her keeping a notebook, she's like, okay, I'm going to keep this 18-month like journal. This is the like, this is the time. This is the commitment. That kind of precociousness uh, is, is like, I'm here for
3: it. That's a good word for it. She is precocious because otherwise, if Hartnett didn't pull it off, I would roll my eyes and go like, oh, what an obvious narrative device. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. It works with the character. It works with the story. Because of your love for Elizabeth Ween, Nicole, I was thinking of Rudis Cepetis. Have you read anything by her? No. No. Well, she has a book set in New Orleans that's a lot of fun. It's called Out of the Easy. I know how much you hate Fifty Shades. (laughs) So she also has a book that came out first, I believe, called Between Shades of Grey. And my bookstore-owning friends tell me these two titles cause no end of confusion and lead to like mothers with eighth graders in tow asking for Fifty Shades and adults being disappointed when they instead get this World War II historical novel. (laughs) So are you interested? You know what? I think we already did World War Two. So I'm just going to leave that there for your entertainment and possibly perusal later. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about something completely different in time and space. Have you read The Snow Child by A1 Ivy? I have.
2: Not.
0: I have.
3: Who has? I have Madi. Which is what I would have expected for the magical element.
2: Yes, it is. Because I really liked that for both
3: of you. Did you enjoy it?
2: I loved it. I thought it was so beautiful and Again, it's one of those stories that it ends and you're not entirely sure what happened, but because of like the, the big themes and uh, it's, it's a book that I would describe as almost haunting because of that very strong setting. It was very beautiful.
3: I'm glad to hear it. Do you think Nicole would like it? Yes. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What do you think about Bone Gap by Laura Ruby? (laughs) We read that for the podcast. And what did you Uh, think? I didn't see that episode. It's the first book that we read. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) I like that we are in the right headspace here, apparently. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I I read Bone Gap on a recommendation
2: from a friend and I immediately turned around and was like, Nicole, you got to read this. Um, (laughs) I think that I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. But overall, I think we were both on the on the love train there. Uh, Talking about that book made me love it more. Mari, have you read The Hazelwood? I have not, no. Do you know about it? By name, I've seen it talked about, but I don't entirely know what it's
3: about. So I just know by by name and author. Okay. I don't know that you're going to love it, but I want you to be in my book club. I want (laughs) to buddy read this together. And I want to hear all your thoughts. I want (laughs) to unpack it with you. But this would be like help my reading life out. This would be really fun. Not I'm positive this is the book for you. Here you go. Perfect. That's okay. that's okay. <laughs> if you read it, we're going to talk.
2: Yes, absolutely.
3: <laughs> okay. We are clearly going back to Rudis Apettus between Shades of Grey. It's got the 50 shades angle and I just really would like to hear you make all the jokes about this on a podcast.
0: (laughs) The other shades of gray book that you should pick up instead.
3: (laughs) And what I like about this is I feel like it could fit at home with your favorites, which it's true are all over the map, but have the common thread of being really good examples of what they are. And Mm. I think that's true of this too. So this is I call it YA historical fiction, although tons of adults have read this for their own sakes and loved it as you can do with a good book written for any age group. And it's based on the author's family's personal history in Lithuania. And what I also like about this is she writes and really brings vividly to life this aspect of world war II that a lot of readers are unfamiliar with. And that is Stalin's reign of terror during world war II in Lithuania. There are so many important themes, as I think is often true in a novel set during a time of great distress and fear and change that has such global import. But I also really admire when an author can do that on the small scale. And I think she does that on two levels. Like you see these big themes operate on a global scale, but also on a very small family scale, which means that it has the potential to break your heart for the world level and also weep for this one individual family. And the main character is uh, complex and sympathetic and well-drawn, and it has a little bit of love and friendship and family, even though it's so, so hard. It also is a story of resilience and hope and tenacity, even in the worst of times. So that sounds a little noble. And often when I'm hearing a book description, I don't want to hear the lofty. I just want to hear like, oh my gosh, it's so good. But how does that (laughs) sound to you?
2: I love what you were saying about kind of the different scales, the human scale, and then like the larger historical and global scale. So that's like two sucker punches to the feels for the price of one.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Double your tears at no extra cost. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here for that. All right. Mari and Nicole, of those three books, I might have a sneaking suspicion, but what do you think you'll read next? I'll let Nicole go first.
2: Oh,
0: man. I I mean all of them sound very appealing. Like I feel like I could pick up any one of them and and be like happy or satisfied. I think I'm torn between Fly Girl and I've already forgotten the name of the last one. <laughs> that one? <laughs> it's not a great sign for that book. Oh, it's but that oh, sh- between yes, the shit, yeah. Yep, I will not forget that again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm I- bad at decisions. You mentioned both of the ones that I was not thinking. Um, I don't know if it's because I already have it, but I'm I'm leaning towards Rabbit Cake. But If we have to come to like a decision for the both of us, which one we would read next, I think I'm going to say fly girl. I
3: hope you love whichever you choose. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for talking books with me today. This has been a delight. Thank you for having for having us. Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Marinus and Nicole. Make sure to check out their Snark Squad podcast and give them some love there. Let us know what you think they should read next in the comment section at what should I read slash one forty seven. That's one four seven. That's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, I would dearly love to wish you happy reading in person when I am touring the US this fall for my new book, I'd rather be reading: The Delights and Dilemmas of the Reading Life. Please check my full events page at anboglecom slash events to see my full list of stops this fall. I hope to see you there. Readers, subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We'll see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekicek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.
1: Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells' Charles Dickens,